Oh, I spent the last week in New York on vacation, and so I, I just wanted to say, I just flew back from New York, and boy, am I tired. Yeah, that's a good one, right? Remember, remember when people used to tell jokes like that? It's almost missed, just the, just the innocence of it all. But I think we live in a world today that sometimes uh, is a little more hardened than we'd like to admit, isn't it? Sometimes life just kind of gets in its own routine and rhythm. And we kind of lose out on things that used to really matter to us. Spent some time in New York last week and uh, got out my phone to use my GPS. It's quite a community, isn't it? I finally figured out why everybody knew to try and hand me stuff to try and get me to their show or on their bus or whatever it was. And I realized that in New York, nobody makes eye contact. You just walk like you're going somewhere. And if if they're in your way or you're in their way, one of you will move when you get close enough. But it was interesting because here we are in the middle of a city and you pull out your GPS and you try and figure out where you are. And, you know, you step out of the hotel, you've got the Wi-Fi. And so you kind of know your bearings. You start heading a direction, but they've got all these buildings, these massive buildings, and they're made of steel and iron. And before you know it, your GPS kind of just starts wandering. It's not quite sure where you are. All of a sudden you look down and you're standing on a sidewalk, but it looks like you're in the middle of a skyscraper and you know, you're, you've got your wife and your two high school boys standing with you. And you're just like, um, well, uh, 30 seconds ago, it said, keep going on this, this sidewalk for a while. And man, there's nothing worse than being lost. Is there that feeling of not knowing where you're going, but you know, what's worse than being lost is losing something that really matters to you. And so when I had my phone, I could kind of figure things out and we could kind of re-triangulate ourselves as family. But one of the times we got ready to leave somewhere, I couldn't find my phone. In the middle of New York City, my wife, my kids, and I'm not sure where my phone is. And of course, it was in my pocket. <laughs> Isn't that the worst thing? Isn't that the worst thing? I'm now to that age where all of a sudden I just forget and lose stuff, even when it's on me. But lostness, no matter how much you experience or even recognize it, usually when we're lost, we don't recognize it until we get to that panic point. Something's got to change. Something's got to get fixed. Something has to be different. Whether we're lost ourselves or we've lost something of great matter, that moment of lostness pierces our heart and our soul unlike anything else that we may experience in life. We're in our final week of parables, and it's been a fun series for us. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've had a chance to look at these messages and kind of hear these passages in a new light. But when we described what a parable is, we would use this definition. Fictional short stories with earthly examples to convey a spiritual truth. And we, we use the word spiritual truth because it was a reminder of it should be transformative. It should impact when we hear it, when we learn it, it should bring us to a, an aha moment that we begin to reevaluate and assess who we are. And one of the beautiful things about these stories is that they pull us in. But here's the challenge. Sometimes, almost all the time, parables teach us things we might not want to hear. So as we're lulled into the comfort of the story, finding our place in the midst of the narrative these truths begin to pierce the way we think, emotions that we feel, 
Words that we might use to express how we want to react and begin to invade the very self that we are. If you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to find ourselves today. And Luke 15 actually has three different parables in it. Uh, the first parable is, uh, is a sheep. There's a shepherd that has 100. He loses one. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. When he finds it, he returns it back to the 99, and they celebrate. The second one is about a, a woman who, who's got 10 different coins. And in these 10 coins, she loses one. In losing one, she begins to sweep and clean the house and search everywhere that she can until she finds that one coin. And when she does, she throws a party. Do, do, do you notice there's something that happens every time something's found? The third parable is about a father and two sons. And one goes off on his own. And when he's found, they throw a party. Friends, if you're a guest with us today, I want to welcome you to Party Sunday. Today's Baptism Sunday, and it's one of the most fun days that we have of all the year where we celebrate people who have confessed Christ, placed their faith in him, and are now going public with their walk with God in front of others. It's going to be a fun day. So I hope, after an Illini win... You are a little more excited than normal to celebrate today. Can I just say that? Okay. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and make sure that you're in uh, Luke chapter 15. But here's what we begin to find out of this chapter. It's this. When something gets lost, someone goes searching. That's the theme throughout this chapter. When something gets lost or someone gets lost, someone goes searching. And that begins to prepare our hearts and our minds thinking about the world that we're a part of, lives that may be lost around us, relationships that we're connected with that need reconciled. We have a mission that is from God to seek out that which was lost. We want a title today, The Parable of the Lost Sons. A story of redemption and reconciliation. It's actually a story of two sons, not just one. And I hope you'll hear what the word has to say today. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 15. We're going to just start with verse 1 or verse 11. It says this Jesus continued, meaning he had just told those two parables, the sheep and the coin. Jesus continues and he says, There is a man who has two sons. Now, here's what's happening. Most of us hear this story, and for, we, we, we maybe have a familiar time that we went to. We kind of know where it's going. Of all the parables that we've touched so far, this is probably one of the more famous stories that Jesus would tell to help us understand the relationship that God has with his people. And so there's a sense of expectation. There's a sense of understanding. Uh, some teachers of the day would actually use a message like this and oftentimes it would be the definition by which people would, would swear their allegiance or their following to a teacher. And so as Jesus unpacks this, it's pretty interesting. Now what we know in the verses that follow, if you've got your Bibles, you'll see that the son comes and he makes a request, right? The story goes that the father has two sons. And one of the sons comes and says, yo pops, love you to death, love to have my inheritance today. Now... Some commentators may say, whoa, 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 that, 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 that's like wishing your father for dead. Here's what I want you to know about this parable. The reality is, while that is not normal, 
And while that is not maybe as appropriate as it should be, it did happen. It was something that people could request of them, their parents. They could take all that their family had, their portion of it, and go start their life. It's not a sin. It's probably not smart, though. But either way, it creates a controversy in a family. This young man takes all that his father gives him, and he goes off to a far distant land, begins to live his own life, begins to get a little bit wild and crazy. Now, normally, what you would understand is that the oldest son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, but what we see is the father doing more than even being asked. He gives him half of the overall inheritance. Here's what it says in verse 15. Look at what happens with his son once he leaves. So he went out and hired himself. Went out and hired himself uh, to a citizen of that country who sent him to, uh, to his fields to feed pigs. Now what's happened is he's gone. He's taken all of his money. He's squandered it. And he has to get a job. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him any. When he came to his senses, he says, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here. I'm here starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. So a young man asks his dad for his inheritance, takes all the money that he has, and he leaves the country and blows it all. The money's gone. There's nothing to live on. Some of us at this point in the parable go, well, serves that kid right, you know? Bet he learned a hard lesson, right? Truth of the matter is, the kid tries to figure out how to deal with his own life, and so he gets a job, he's resourceful, he jumps in, tries to figure it out, but here's what's interesting as you begin to unpack this passage. You know, when our archaeologists dig up the areas of this biblical time, there are no pig bones found. Did you know that? There's no pig bones found. It's a reminder that uh, the Hebrew people found themselves uh, away from pigs. They found them unkosher, unclean. And so an entire nation, an entire region has no pig bones. And he has gone far enough that he's now in an area where they raise pigs. Which, God bless you, I'm, I'm thankful for bacon. Anybody else thankful for bacon? I like bacon. Yeah. So what we do is we find this young man so far out, so far gone. His family can't reach him. His family can't talk to him. His family can't see him, but he's gone all the way out to set his own pace, to do his own life, to be his own man. Some of you identify with that? Maybe it was when you went off to college. You're going to be yourself, do your own thing. But the younger son gets to the point that uh, it's no longer working, he's failed. All of a sudden, he begins to rehearse this speech, Dad. Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I mean, I, I know that what I've taken responsibility for has not only hurt you, but it's offended God himself. I've, I've gotten to a point where my rebellion has impacted so much. Some, some people maybe want to question his motives. Is he really contrite? Is he just trying to say what he can get so he can get back what he wants? While we question his motives, while we try and figure out who he is, we, we miss the point that this young man 
is at a breaking point. And if you've ever been at a breaking point, frankly, there are times that our heart is contrite. And frankly, there are times that our heart is just like, let's just get out of this mess. But the Father, the Father is always ready to restore. Look what it says in verse 20. He's heading back. It says this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on, and bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And they began to celebrate. This is why if you look at your scripture, if you look at your Bible, oftentimes this passage is called the prodigal son. Prodigal literally means reckless or extravagant or having expended everything. And so oftentimes that phrase is thrown directly on this son. He had wild, lavish, extravagant living to the point that he blew it all and wasted it all and finds himself coming back to God, to his father. The son returns home. You know, in some ways, I, I, I feel for the father, right? You know, it's interesting, in Jesus' day, there was a, there was a, a process by which if a family member asked for their inheritance and left, that you could really uh, cut them out of your family. Not cut them off. Cut them out of your family. What would seem to be most appropriate in that environment, a, a son who asks for his inheritance, takes it for himself, goes out and blows it all on wild, lavish living, spends everything of himself, it would seem like this is the perfect time to cut him out. Doesn't it? Isn't that what he deserves? There's a phrase in the Hebrew called ketseta. Ket, excuse me, easy for me to say. Ketsatsa. I can't even say it very well. The truth of the matter is that this phrase, this ceremony, was literally where a family would cut out that family member and be done. Now, that may seem harsh. Some may say, well, that's tough love. But that's not what this father chooses to do. Some commentators say that this father, by all means, has lost his own reputation amongst his peers. I mean, to give something so foolish to his son, to allow him to go live such a wild life, to, to begin to embrace him back in, what kind of father would do that? One that would be found standing, looking, seeing his son, runs to his son, embraces his son, kisses his son. The foolishness, the lavishness of a father that would just go and throw himself at his son to restore him back to the family, to take the best of all that's in this house and give it back to him. What kind of father does that? The kind of father that looks like Jesus. The kind of father that realizes that there's more than just reputation, status, power, influence. A father that recognizes 
that you only have so many opportunities to ever restore what has been broken. I mean, how do we define lost? I think we define lost as when we're so consumed with our lives that we begin to miss out on what matters most. Spiritually, we use the term lost all the time. And oftentimes we're talking about how we're consumed by ourselves or our sin. And we don't, we don't even realize that we're lost. But every one of us have been enemies to God. And when we have that aha moment that it was Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, it was our payment for our sin. It's what provides everlasting life. It's in those moments that we realize that who we were is not who we were created to be. And a returning home happens. Begin to sense that this world no longer makes sense. You find yourself slopping for the pigs of this world, but you don't understand who you were created to be. And Jesus helps us find our way home. But there's more. There's two sons. Where's the older brother? Here's what it says in verse 35. Meanwhile, or as I like to say, back at the ranch, the older son is in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Why? Because there's a celebration. There's a party going on. So he called out to one of the servants and he asked, hey, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has called him, brought him back safe and sound. Your older, the older brother, though, becomes angry. That doesn't seem appropriate. He becomes angry and refuses to go in. So his father went out. He went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, 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 come on. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property and, and with prostitutes of all things, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And now it's found. Can we have a family moment for a second? Is there anything more painful to a parent's heart than the distance felt between a parent and a child? You ever gone through that? Not everybody's had children or raised children. But I can tell you, the answer is no. To feel the distance, to sense the distance, 
No matter if, if lived out in rebellion or accident, the distance hurts so much. And the parent, the parent longs so much for reconciliation. And in a moment of celebration that the younger son has come home, he now gets more distance now from the older brother, his oldest son. In a moment of peace, there's now crisis again. The older brother says, your son, this kid, blew it all. But I've always been here. But the father says, but your brother, not just my son, our family should celebrate. Because he's come home. He was dead. But now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. This tension spills over. And friends, there's no fun in the dysfunction of family, is there? When that tension begins to boil over, there are things that begin to speak to our own life. Because sometimes we've felt like that younger son where maybe we've lived in rebellion towards God and we wonder, can we come home? And the truth of a passage like this is a reminder that as, as tarnished as we may feel, as broken as we may feel, as shameful as we may feel, our Heavenly Father desires nothing more than to restore us, to love us, and for us to have the intimacy with our Heavenly Father that He's always intended, that we can have the confidence to know that God is at work in our lives, that our past is not held against us, that our future is bold because it's held in the eternal hands of our Father. So we see a passage where we see our Father, the Father, our gracious and generous God. We see an older sibling, a faithful but resentful child. We see a son, a younger son, a rebellious but returning child. I guess the question I have for you this morning is, who do you identify with the most? Because the truth of the matter is, when we find ourselves lost, sometimes we've been right next to God the whole time, but we've drifted. While other times we ran as far away from God, but now we might be coming back. Here's what I love. When this passage speaks of the prodigal, when he talks about this reckless, lavish, Expense. All three are reckless, aren't they? The younger is reckless in his living and in his dires. The elder, elder brother is reckless in his bitterness and his lack of joy. And the father, he may be the most reckless because he's lavish and reckless with his love to do whatever it takes to restore his children. And we're reminded that a reckless love restores reckless living. Both were lost. Both sons were lost. One was far away and one was close. Being lost is not about our distance from God or even our distance from church. Being lost is about the condition of our heart. What we learn from the younger brother is that you can leave God far behind, but he's always there waiting for you, right? And what we learn from the older brother is this. You can be around God a lot and still be very lost. Either way, no matter which son you resonate with 
the most. Your heavenly Father loves you deeply. Isn't that encouraging? For a father's love is given. It's not earned. It's not earned. You can't unearn it. It is, it is who God is. He loves us, period. You can, you can try and run away from it. You can try and do life your own, but it doesn't change God's love for you. When we return home, we find our Father waiting, longing, looking for us, chasing what is lost, embracing it, restoring us, because we're no longer dead to ourselves, but we're now alive in Christ. The redemption God gives us is because we have returned. We've come home. What's Jesus getting at? What's the story of those two brothers all about? How is he trying to resolve this idea of lostness in this family? There are a few themes, I think. There, in the theme of lostness, there is always the precedence, precedence that celebration and finding, that celebration happens when something is found. There's always a celebration. There's always an effort given to restore wholeness back before God. And God has paid that price. The third lesson is maybe this. That which is lost may be close to home. Friends, God wants us to come home. And whether we've been faithful and have become bittered, or whether we've been rebellious and have finally come to our senses, God stands to welcome us. In just a moment, we're going to get ready to celebrate some baptisms. And today, if you decided to do that, I want you to stay in your seat for a moment. And when we wrap up this response time, you're going to join me back behind this stage out in the hallway. And we're going to get ready to celebrate these baptisms in just a moment. But the reality is that one of the reasons we celebrate baptism is so that we can have an outward declaration that we know our Father, we're returning home, and our eternity is in His hands. And so as everyone is baptized today, as people are making this statement, may we celebrate, may we party, may we relish in the fact that people are finding their way back to God. And may this be a demarcation that everybody knows that this is a child of God. And may we together grow and pursue his love to the end of our lives. Let's move to a time of response. Friends, coming home sometimes can be awkward. <laughs> I remember the first time I went home from college. My parents were fully expecting me to come home and hang out and catch up on how everything was going in the world because I, I moved about six hours from home. I got home, called my girlfriend and took off, right? I remember the disappointment on my mom and my dad's face. They understood I was in love, you know. But it wasn't 
but a few more times returning home that I really understood the value of what it meant to walk into a familiar house, to hear singing in the kitchen, to have familiar smells, to hear my dad's goofy laugh, to see the smirk of my younger sister. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older, right? Maybe it's because yesterday we, uh, we buried a friend of mine. Friends, there's nothing more enjoyable than coming home. Knowing that you're loved, not because of what you scored on your SAT or the promotion you may get at work or how right you've done all these things, but because you're loved. And maybe there are a few of us in this room today as we think about that and we think about our relationship with God. We've, we've considered ourselves lost for quite some time. We've found ourselves kind of struggling in just this, this journey of, well, I got to get my life right. I got to get a few more things fixed. Once I get these things in order, then I'll surrender my life to God. And the truth of the matter is, no amount of work or effort will ever save you. God's love has been given. His death, his burial, his resurrection is the payment for our sin. And so for any one of us today, whether you plan to or whether you spontaneously want to respond, coming home happens. And it happens a lot around here. And this is your God-given right to declare your faith openly between, before friends and family that you are loved by God to experience baptism, to be buried in the waters of baptism, to stand in there to say that I have taken claim of my birthright that I'm made in God's image. My life is in his hands. And then we join a mission of love, that we would radically live a life of love that looks like our Father's love, not like the world around us. Friends, God's not in the business of wanting to cut out. God's in the business of receiving his family. So today, maybe you've decided to be baptized, and we will celebrate with you in just a moment, but maybe some of you are like, I I'm not sure. Maybe you're wanting to make that decision, but you didn't plan on it. Can I just tell you, we... We have extra shorts, we have extra t-shirts, we have extra towels. And we would like to have a party with you today. We would love to celebrate it with you. I'm gonna pray. And then I'm gonna set up what we're gonna do next. Let's pray. God, God, not all of us have a, a wild, crazy story, you know, where we, we were abandoned by our parents at three, we were raised by wolves till seven, hooked on heroin by age nine, and then God saved us out of our... Not everybody has that. Some of us have more of a story like me where we did what was expected, we did what we were supposed to, <laughs> and we started evaluating ourselves by our own judgment, or by our own righteousness, our own validation, our own works, and our own efforts, and God, 
whether we have a grand rebellion or whether we have a hardened heart from our own righteousness, God, bring us home. God, today in this room, there are marriages that are on the brink. They're up against it. God, there are, there are parents and children who can barely stand to see each other. There are friends that have scarred one another, said things about each other, done things. God, God church people have done that. And we, God, what we desire is not only a restored relationship with you, but a restored relationship with each other. And so, God, today, as people begin to respond and begin to be ready to make this decision, God, would you, would you begin to put the courage in our feet and the fire in our heart and a passion to trust you with our lives? God, we love you. We love you deeply. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Friends, if you've been a part of First for a bit, you kind of know that the next moment what's going to happen is the band's going to begin to play and we're going to begin to sing songs. And some people will come forward to pray at the benches up here and some people will go to these tables. There's six of them around the room where there's a candle and they will take what we call communion. It's a chance to come together in community with God where we celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. We eat the bread and we drink the juice because we're reminded, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And in that moment, we commemorate that his death, burial, and resurrection is our key to eternal life. It's not our work. It's not our effort. But we will respond in faith that the grace given by Jesus Christ is enough. And several of us will pull out our phones. We'll use the Give app. Or we'll use the Give and Respond boxes. There are four around here. Maybe to put in a connection card that asks for prayer. Or maybe to take a next step of faith or give of our tithes and offerings. And some of you have noticed, kids have started walking in the room and we're gonna have children that are gonna be in here in a moment and as service finishes, they're all gonna go back to their rooms, but they're here to, they're here to help you party if you're not sure to know what to do when people get baptized. I wanna ask everybody to stand if you would do that right now, would you? There's a confession of faith that we often take before baptisms and it's, there's nothing magical specifically about it. It's not, uh, the power's not specifically in the words, it's in the work of Jesus. But as those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we make this statement. It's a confession. And so if you have given your life to Christ, or maybe you're going to get baptized today. We want to invite everybody to repeat these words after me that I'm going to say in just a moment. Because Scripture says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we will be saved. And this declaration is the truth of who Jesus is. So would you repeat these words after me? I believe, I believe that, Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's our faith, in a sentence. Our belief that who he is has paid for our sins, 
and gives us life everlasting. Now, when you're ready, people will begin to move to these benches and these tables and to these boxes. And specifically, if you're getting baptized today, whether you planned or not, when I walk off this stage, would you follow me out? We'll go out in this hallway and people will meet you there. They'll get you prepared. And we're going to have some baptisms.